Happy, happy invisible path. Patrick, happy invisible path. Here we are. It's a, <laughs> it's a holiday that comes twice a month. <laughs> hey, it's, and it's, it's been a little while. I'm glad we're doing this. And we're recording it at a time where maybe our brains are going to be more functional. Normally, we record these things morning. Maybe yeah. we should try some evening where we're just totally loopy and see where that goes. But this is, this is prime. Yeah, our brains hopefully, are, hopefully our brains are tuned in today. This is probably as good as it gets. So let's let's see what happens. <laughs> Man, I, I, hope, <laughs> I hope this isn't as good as it gets. But but we're gonna do what we can do today. So um, yeah. you you were right before we jumped on. You mentioned something that I thought was pretty fascinating. Then we're gonna jump into um, so we'll circle it all the way back. But you you said something along the lines of like everything everything essentially feels like a distraction right now and it's really hard to know where we're going with the invisible path project but i've been feeling the same way about life like um i think it's an interesting thing i think it's an interesting time right now there's just there's a lot of stuff there's a lot of noise and it's hard to know what to do so i think this this episode uh hopefully will provide something Maybe a different perspective. Who knows? Yeah, let's <laughs> let's go for that, right? Um, so, first question yeah. coming in from Aaron, and it's um, it says, "Hey, hey guys, my end of the year tradition is to look back and identify the biggest mistakes I made, so that I can ensure I don't repeat them in the new year." What do you two think is the biggest mistake people are making in two thousand twenty-one? Jeez, that's a loaded one. Well, <laughs> first of all, it, it was Aaron. You said first of all, Aaron. like Aaron, you're a you are a rare breed because most people are not going to do that. Uh, <laughs> and, and so, congratulations to you. Maybe you should be hosting this show. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> that takes like a real level of um, of honesty that. Um, that is hard to come to terms with sometimes. So I think that is yeah. super interesting. And, and uh, okay, so what are people doing wrong? <laughs> oh, becoming swept up in narrative. Yeah, that's it. I could elaborate, but maybe I won't. What, <laughs> what, what do you What do you have to say about that? I bet it's. I bet. Um... I bet they're very similar. So, so my, my thing is the thing that I've come to, the thing that I've realized, and I think this goes right back to what you said before we started, is that we cannot save the world, right? It is not uh, that we can't as a collective save the world. It is that you, Joel, Green, me, Patrick Brennan, we cannot save the world. We do not have that capacity. We do not have that energy. We do not have those resources. And if you, if you are viewing um, your objective as saving the world, I think you're going to be pretty frustrated all the time and you're going to feel pretty lost right now. So the thing I've identified, the thing that I've identified why I love this question um, is that there is a, in the last episode, I talked a little bit about uh, hierarchy of human awareness. And at the top, it's like, there's one person you can save. And that is you. It's like when you're frustrated, when you're upset, when you're lost, instead of trying to fix everything on the planet, fix the one thing you have control over. Take responsibility of the one thing you have control over. And uh, that has provided me with some challenge and some... Uh, reframing of the way I view life, but it's been really good. And I really love this yeah. question, Aaron. This is like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so good. So, so let, let me add to that a bit. I love, I love your answer. Um, and, and maybe my answer was a little too cryptic. So I'll try to explain this further. Uh, the, everything on your phone, all the headlines that people read, myself included, all the headlines I read, they'd like to capture me in a, 
in a narrative, a very oversimplified, cartoonified, good versus evil, good people versus bad people, smart people versus dumb people narrative. And, and it's just simply, that is just simply not where things are at right now. Uh, it's far more complex than that. Um, and you can work on saving yourself. You can also work on saving to a lesser degree, those people that, that are in your family, right? Those, and the, the people that, that you're close to and that you love, um, you can, you can have some influence there as well. And one, you know, one thing I think that is, probably is correct is that we are right now in the midst of a crisis and a crisis is not as like uh, theatric and cinematic as we would, as we're like led to believe like a crisis drags on over months and years sometimes. And we are in a crisis of sorts and you should absolutely. Yeah. And, and you should, Treat this time with the same with a level of seriousness that that it, it it this right now like the world and what's going on right now and the risks out there they demand a little respect and a little attention from us and so um, be the king of your castle whatever it is be in charge of yourself and try to help and protect those around you as well uh, I think it's a super important thing and so it does get back to what we've ranted about many times which is something that is so invisible which is taking radical responsibility uh so so that's how i'll end that question but such a good practice that um you know that has been put out here of of like asking what your mistakes were for the year oh brutal but then you know have some gratitude flip-flop it have a little bit of forgiveness and uh and pat yourself on the back every once in a while too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Find, find that opportunity for sure. Um, I do do like the idea of reviewing your mistakes because otherwise you can very easily get trapped in loops. I want to ask you a couple of questions, a couple of things I I spoke about a little bit. Um, You know, you said, put some respect on the, on the moment, on the, on the divide, essentially. And I think yeah. that's a really, I think it's really interesting because uh, last episode, somebody asked, um, are we, are we, or, or I think they said, uh, actually, let me, let me pull it up really quick so I can read this to you. Uh, was the, the, okay, Sarah said the world is obviously getting more divided it seems like everyone is out for themselves. Are we becoming selfish? So let me just recap my answer for, to that question for you really quick. I said that I'm not 100% sure we are getting more divided. I think we've always been divided. And you look at like, I, the example I used was iPhone versus Android, right? Like that has been a, like, does your message come through in green or blue has been like a thing for more than a decade. It's just that we didn't, we, we didn't have the, the, the strength of attachment to the ideology, right? It's like, you're not going to get in a fist fight over uh, Android or iPhone. That's not going to happen. But the things that we are divisive over right now are there. There's more, there's more attention to them. There's, there's more strength to the attachment. And that I think um, is an interesting piece of this little puzzle is that we're not, I, I really don't think we're more divided. I just think the divide is harsher, sharper, and we're more attached to our ideologies. So if you let go of your ideologies, 5%, 10%, 15%, 20%, um, 100%, dare you, dare you think about 100%, uh, what happens then? I think, it's, I think it's actually really good. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question from Sarah. Gosh, I don't know. I mean, I tend to think we are probably more divided, but maybe that is just surface. Maybe that is a mirage in a way and that people people get, it's so easy to become divided online, but we are confronted with a person face-to-face over any type of conflict. For most people, there's a real softening there that happens. Um, Yeah, I mean, 
God, yeah, like my my wife, she'll read to me like these threads on Nextdoor. I know we've talked about Nextdoor before, <laughs> and the the absurdity of it is hilarious. Like how how things can escalate. Someone complaining about like a feral cat in the neighborhood. How this can ex- escalate to the most like preposterous virtue signaling and it just makes me want to get in there like i'm so tempted to get in there and troll just the just troll these people to death right but then the the very small mature part of me says well don't do that because you're just like shoveling more garbage out there into people's minds but it's so it is such like a the division it's both it's entertaining as well like and, and so that's a problem, like that self-righteousness and that feeling that you're correct, it just feels so damn good. And you want to, there's like this urge to want to dunk on people and all that. And I just, I, that's just why I'm really repelled by all the social media. It's amusing to watch it, but I just don't want to get involved in a way um, because I know that I'm not. Maybe it's just that I have awareness that I'm not that strong in character and maybe, and I'm too, I'll too easily want to, to troll people. And or I don't know. I, I don't generally, I do not troll people. And some people find <laughs> that as just an entertaining waste of their life, you know, just do that. I, I, so I don't know. I'm trying to avoid, I see that you can see what you're seeing right now. I think in general in humanity is, we're, we're being given opportunities to, to bring out parts of us that usually are concealed. And you can see how easy, like our tendency to want to get tribal and divide and find a scapegoat is so strong. And um, so having some awareness of that and... Uh, I guess some empathy for people that are caught up in that is, is probably a good thing. Yeah, I would. Yeah. I, so this, this maybe ties everything, everything that we've spoken about so far together. So I want to, I want to get your opinion on this. Um, there are, there are lots of ways in which we can change people, right? There are, um, Changing people is actually really easy. That that is that is the thing that I have continually been running. Um, I've been running this idea up against people, and every single person has told me that I'm wrong and you can't change people. So um, it's 100 so far. You can't change people. I can't even understand it because my my example of the, it would be a physical a physical troll, right? So if you were going to go into a job interview. And like, as you put your hand on the door, like you don't have a minute to spare as you put your hand on the door, someone comes up to you and they're like, just someone out of the blue just comes right up to you, stops you as you put your hand on the door and they're like, you look terrible. And then walks away. That's going to change what's going to happen in your job interview. Like you are going to be calculating what that means. Why would this random person come up to you and say this thing to you? And, um, it's really, really, really easy to change someone for the worse, right? Like that, that sure. There's a, there's a possibility that that could, you could be like, no, I don't look terrible. I'm amazing. And you could go in and you could crush that job interview, but the likelihood is you're a human being. And that random interaction is going to make the next portion of your life worse. And that could impact your, like, if that's your dream job interview, that could impact every single thing that ever happens. And my point is it does, whether it changes a job interview or not, that person interacting with you changes your life, right? It goes into the subconscious and that little comment is calculated into the subconscious, just like we talked about in the free will episode, that, that's going to be put into the calculation of whatever your, your brain brings up. But I think there are only three ways that we can change people for the positive. Uh, one of the first is you can you can show them, right? You can, you can lead by being a new perspective. The second is you can ask them questions that unveil a new perspective within them. And the third, the most dangerous, because it can be used just as easily to, for negative, is to engage them in a narrative that, that brings them a new perspective. And I can't think of any other way other than teach someone, 
show someone, teach someone, right? Same thing. Ask questions and unveil a new perspective or uh, engage them in a narrative. And all three of those require a pretty significant amount of skill. That's the, the interesting thing is engaging in a narrative probably requires the least amount of skill. Asking questions that unveil something within someone probably requires the most amount of skill. And being a leader just requires uh, just amazing human character, which is just none of the things are easy. Um, but making somebody, making someone change for the worse is super easy, right? We can, we can get online and we can shit post and you can, you can frustrate someone and make their life worse. It's so easy. Um, so I want to ask you just, and I know, Hey, not a lot of time to think about this. I've been thinking about this for, since we, since we last spoke. Um, but like, can you think of any other ways that you can change someone for the positive? Can we, can we add anything into that calculation? I don't, I don't know that there is. Yeah. I've, I've been thinking about it a lot failing. Yeah. So, yeah. So probably my answer will fall into you know, a few of your categories that you've laid out here. I mean, I, th when I think about what I do as a parent, I try to, and, and this is like long-term. So your example of just, uh, you know, trolling someone right before they walk into an interview. It's a very short-term kind of influence on someone. Yep. So I'm thinking long-term and how um, I just try to uh, show, you know, promote an ideal and attach some kind of positive emotion to it. Like, yeah, you're interested in this thing. This is where you could take it next. This is where it could take you next. And wouldn't that be amazing and constantly reinforce positivity. So, and so part of that is leading through some kind of example. Um, and part of that is just, uh, yeah, I suppose it is narrative, right? Show, creating a story in, in someone's mind and saying, look, this is, if you did these things, this is where you could be. Um, this is what we could make together, whatever. So, but that takes a that takes a long time, and and in general, if you're trying to just change someone's mind about something that they're already sold on, um, especially these days, that's a really hard thing to do. Everyone is quite easily triggered. Um, everyone has been given all the the list of names they should apply to the the people that are their enemy, you know. And so to, to just dehumanize them, essentially. I don't know so what you, the heck was your question again. So yes, <laughs> you can change people. Yes, you can definitely change people. Yeah. But, but that being said, I th there probably is a baseline, right? There's a baseline that people have to their happiness. You can shift that a little bit. Um, I'd, I'd say it's a rare person that is capable of changing in a significant way, actually. I would say most people aren't capable of that. And the only I way you're going to find out. I, would, I think, yeah. I think significance, the wrong word. I think rare person, because significant may be a, a half a millimeter of a degree, right? Like mm -hmm. it depends on where you are, the, the significance of change. And that's where I think everybody comes back at me and says, you can't change people is because what they're meaning is you can't change someone to be the person you want them to be. And that's true. But every interaction changes you a, a, a smidge, right? And it's like, it, what, where I really clicked on this was Russian disinformation, right? They're not trying to get people to change their ideology. They're trying to get people to shift one to two degrees in the direction they want. Because one to two degrees makes, like, if you, if you do one to 2% an election, it changes the election. 90, 95% of the time, right? So if you can shift one to 2%, the significance is maximum. But if you're looking for somebody to make 180 degree change, well, you're gonna be frustrated all the time. Like people don't make 180 degree changes. We're not designed for that. We, we, have, we have pillars of ideologies that we've like rooted ourselves against. Yeah, yeah, you just reinforce existing tribalism for sure that will do it um it's 
every, you know, anytime I really enjoy looking at the, the mainstream headlines, all I see now is just influence on both sides. And it's fascinating to read all of it and to see ad hominem attacks everywhere, which is just name calling. It's like, well, you know, someone brings up a, maybe a valid point or an invalid point, but I'm not going to address that. I'll simply call them a name. And that, that suffices for defense these days. That's fascinating. Um, and I, and I, I don't even need to cite any research to back up or data to back up my position uh, because you're so bought into my narrative of this particular group being a boogeyman anyways that you don't need it. You won't look for it. You won't even ask for it because right. you already are a believer. And right. so, uh, yes, yeah, so this gets back to, to the whole thing of not getting hooked into story and narrative because it is the easiest way to control people. It really is. I mean, that is just, just as you had mentioned before, how it's probably the easiest one to enact. I mean, if you look at, if you look at advertising, um, the most effective advertising is story, right? I mean, that guy, Simon Sinek, I think that's how you pronounce his last name. He, he does a great job of talking about that with like Apple and, and what they did. They're not telling you about, uh, you know, their design or the performance of their products. It's a story essentially. Um, and, and we are narrative creatures. We hung out around the campfire for sure. And, and we used to, you know, we used to actually have an attention span to be able to memorize stories, um, before we had, you know, we had an oral tradition before a written tradition. Um, but that's all gone now. Now it's all just TikTok and no attention span. So so here we are. <laughs> yeah, I we will have, say, tell me. Do we have a theme? What are we, what are we doing? I like these questions. We can keep answering questions. I have one keep more going. question. And then, and, and it's, a, it's probably not put in the appropriate order. Because um, this is going to derail us, but it'll give Perfect. us a nice break between the questions and the topic. So, um, this comes from Earthworm Jim, who says, do either of you two use any supplements? That's a total derailment. Yeah. You have to say that for a whole episode, right? <laughs> That's a whole episode. Sure. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> Cycling on and off of all sorts of things. Um, should we, should we list them? Is this a HIPAA violation? Let's see. Um, I mean, generally right now, like if you look at, well, what's, what's the mood of things right now, you'd want to say, um, you know, some zinc, maybe some quercetin, some vitamin D, take that in the morning or lunchtime with a meal because it's fat absorbable or it's fat soluble. Don't take it in the evening. Um, you know, some electrolytes and magnesium. It's always a good one. Some vitamin C. Um, gosh, chaga. I'm always drinking your chaga uh, that you've got, Patrick. So <laughs> I like that a lot. And uh, lately, some turkey tail that I uh, harvested wild up in Washington when I was yeah. up there. Um, you know, and then there's an interesting supplement that I have around that I'm not taking, but I just have for certain applications, which is NAC. And that's an interesting one because this does get back to story in a way, because anytime someone doesn't want you to have something, then you want to get it. And so the FDA is looking to uh, classify it as a drug instead of a supplement. And so it's being, you know, people are buying it in droves because they don't want to be told what to do. They don't want to be limited in their freedom. So you want to buy some NAC before you can't. Mm. So there's a, there's a short list. How about you? No, I'm not, I have every supplement. So I'll say that like, uh, right. if you looked in, there's an embarrassment of, of supplement opportunity and, um, I've taken them all, <laughs> but I'm not taking anything routinely enough to say I'm taking mm -hmm. it right now. Um, maybe aniracetam. I, I like the mm. racetams before uh, cognitive function requirements. 
And uh, that may be my own fear of my slipping cognition. But um, yeah, that's really the only one that I would take probably on a weekly basis even. Yeah, cycling is good. Cycling on and off of things is good. The body wants to reach homeostasis. You gotta, you gotta keep it guessing sometimes. Yeah. So it's good. But to I not do take think a supplement, a supplement episode someday could be a good time because we've we've probably both done our share of experimentation. Yeah, weird biohacks supplements. Sure. Yeah, we'll have to do. We should, you know, I, we have it. I think in the list. Uh, we should do an episode about health spelled H E L T H, <laughs> like the meme. Right. Um, Cause who knows? Yeah. All right. So um, the Turkey tail is probably a good, a good, you know, you, you were on, you were on a pretty big trip. You, you yes. mentioned that you saw some things that, that made you think about some things. So um, lead us in. You know, we, yeah, Pat. So first of all, uh, Patrick has, has told me that one piece of feedback for this podcast is that we both have really sort of tangential minds and we can jump around from spot to spot. And so if that is not, uh, if that doesn't suit your brain, well, apologies, because here comes another <laughs> tangent. Um, so we were talking about community quite a bit and, yeah. and also just and I think maybe we'll, maybe this will end up being a few episodes, who knows, you know, community and, and how do you find a place to call home? What makes home? And uh, so I was driving up uh, through, uh, through Arizona, through Nevada, through Oregon, through Washington state. And, and it changed so much over time. And I was, uh, or just as you as you move through each town, and it was just stunning to see um, the advancement of the homeless scene in Portland. And if you're just outside of Portland, if you're south of there in Salem, you don't see any tents on the side of uh, the I-5. But as soon as you get into Portland, you see tents uh, just everywhere, and you'll see you'll see like a dozen, maybe there'll be like a green open space. You'll see like a dozen or two dozen tents. You'll see trash everywhere in some of these camps and you'll see cars. This was the thing that stunned me the most. You will see cars. People will park their car right next to the tent. And so as I, as I took the exit uh, to visit uh, my brother who lives in Portland, you get off the exit and there's an overpass. So you have this bridge, this shelter from the, the nonstop uh, tortuous rain of the Pacific Northwest. So you need this shelter. So there's like three or four tents under the overpass and there's trash everywhere. And there's two cars parked next to the tents. And this was just a stunning development. I thought, I mean, it's, it's amazing that people are getting so comfortable with this, that they're normalizing it for their own lives and people living there are just dealing with it. Uh, what else can you do, I guess? But I mean, it, this gets it to my mind, if you're living in one of these areas, this really gets back to like what I had said earlier, which is that you should treat this time like, like the crisis that it is. I mean, I felt like I was witnessing social collapse to a degree that I've never seen in the United States before. Um, and then to contrast that with other areas that, you know, more affluent areas just outside of Seattle in the suburbs where you have, you know, a new apartment complex being built right next to the highway and, uh, the, the minimum, you know, bid on any of these apartments is going to be a million dollars. And so just to see that, that stunning sort of difference, that stunning sort of you know, gap between the, the haves and the have-nots and the people that are buying those million-dollar places, maybe they, maybe they can afford them, maybe they can't. You know, we'll, we'll find out as uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, things get sketchier in the economy, but if they ever do, who knows? But um, this was... I will tell you, so, so just really quick, I just want to say this because yeah. 
Zillow, who has literally all of the data on the housing market, just ended their home purchasing business. Mm -hmm. So if that's going to tell you anything about the direction of the real estate market, they are the people who have the information. They know where this is going and it's not going up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, the consolidation is incredible to, to see that. I mean, just because they stopped, you still have other companies that are buying and, and just because yeah, they stopped they buying the, like, doesn't they mean that they're not where the market's going. <laughs> very true. Very true. Yeah. I mean, it, it's amazing. And then, and then to be in an, you know, I, I contrast Portland with, I was in this little place in Southern Oregon, uh, Ashland, Oregon, and it, it's a, mostly just a tourist town. What they're known for is an annual Shakespeare festival. And so this town has um, a real strong, cohesive identity of, of who it is and what it's about. And I remember walking over to a grocery store and the side of the grocery store had this amazingly intricate uh, mosaic tile mural on the side, on the outside of the building. And I had just come from Portland and I was thinking, wow, this, this mural could never exist in, in Portland. It would be destroyed in a day. And the thing is, is this town of Ashland has such a strong identity that anything that would, that would push back against that identity to degrade it would bring about a real disgust response in the people living there. They would think that was horrible and they would make that go away quickly. Whereas in Portland now, I, I think everyone's response to it, they've been so conditioned to it now and desensitized to it. They do not have a disgust response. They just see it and they're like, well, that's what it is. I've got to go to my job or I've got to do whatever I got to do. There's nothing I can do about it. Um, and and I, I certainly don't have any answers. Um, so it's a fascinating thing. And so community is, is important. It's an important thing to think about uh, in good times and a critical thing to think about in bad times. And, and so we could take this in a number of directions, I suppose. There's virtual community, there's physical community. Um, but living life intentionally, I think, is definitely part of the invisible path here. And I mean, Patrick, you, you've chosen to, to go pretty far you know, out of the way to a place that's not that easy to get to, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. So you've made your decision, <laughs> right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I was thinking about this the other day. This will tell you how far I think society um, has, has fallen. There are essentially two points of entry into uh, my, my hood. And both of them are tunnels through mountains. So there is a tunnel to the mountain to the north of me. There's a tunnel to the mountain to the south of me. And I was thinking, man, if you could choose a, a place, you are, you are sitting on top of a cliff with two tunnels as the point of entry. If you could choose a place that would be, that would be easy to defend, this, this, is, this is a good spot. <laughs> this, this is like, when you mention this, this gives me like this um, Tolkien sort of vision of like, some magical hobbit land right where you've got <laughs> tunnels and you're yes you have a beautiful empire to defend and you know there's probably sure there's something maybe there's not enough to defend that's another good thing that's, too right this is right out, out of the right out I of say. the Tao ching right yeah you don't want to you don't want to have a whole lot of stuff that that thieves would want you yeah. want to be left alone For so sure. do you just i mean sure you can try to go in there and and go into the, the battle, the, the cultural battle. But um, sometimes it's better to drop out and uh, wait for the dust to settle. <laughs> <laughs> so you've and done that, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it's, I don't, I don't, I really don't know if it's good. Um, I do think it's, it provides some ease, right? If, if I go back to, 
if I go back to this thing that I'm realizing that really has always been a part of, of my ideology. So it's not, it's not new to me. It's just that I'm finally having the ability to, to observe these things in that, um, you know, taking care of yourself is a lot easier when you don't, when you're, when you don't have, when there's not a neighbor to, to take care of, right. It's, uh, it's very, it's very easy to not be angry at your neighbors if you literally never interact with your neighbors. Uh, <laughs> and and that, that, you know, that might not be the best solution. I can tell you it's not the best solution for everybody. Um, being in this space, in this isolation will make people go insane. I, I, I know it, it does that. So um, it's not the solution for everybody, but it is, it is maybe, a, maybe a reflection of my own realization of my limitations, right? Which is that, hey, if I'm in the middle of everything, I get involved in everything. If I'm not in the middle of everything, it's, it's really easy for me to stay peaceful and I can walk around and not see anybody. So we're the worst people to be talking about community because we're both like introverts and you've just run off to the hills. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, but I think we are both parts yeah. of communities and I think in like, there is some component of protecting yourself that has to be required to going into a community. I don't mean protecting yourself like, Hey, I'm carrying a, a weapon. I mean, mm -hmm. like making sure you're, you are, happy and healthy as a physical being so that when you are involved in a community um it's it's you are changing people for the better like your involvement in the community should change people for the better and um if that's the goal right if the goal is to make all of your interactions within the whatever communities you're involved in as a net positive for everyone maybe everyone's the wrong word. I don't know. I, I can see how people are like, well, yeah, you're in my community, Patrick. And I think you're a total a-hole. And every time I see you, I hate you. I'm sorry, person. I get it. I would hate me too. But, <laughs> but, but uh, I do think that if that's the goal and you're not attached to that as being a reality, it's a, it's a pretty good way to pop in and out of communities. You know, um, you're, you're not, ex you, I, you're not in the, the heart center of a, of a, of a city. You're not like no. thriving nightclub area. So, so you're, you're out there too. And you kind of have that ability to pop in and out. So that pop in and out experience for you, um, do you notice the like transition between not in community, in community, or in your, in your like, uh, nuclear community of family and then into a bigger community a larger community of world it's it's good to be you know i think i think being out of the fray a little bit suits both of our personalities i think maybe in you know prior incarnations we were both you know zen hermits or something that just disappeared up into the mountains above the clouds you know or just hermits um, <laughs> just gone yeah so so there's i mean there's something to be said i think for really being intentional about that i mean that being that being said i mean you can find your community wherever you are it's it's hard to not catastrophize sometimes um but i don't know i mean some like you look at you look at some of the urban areas you look at new york it's like well hey murders are up like quite a bit like a lot so mm -hmm. um that's not great uh mm. so it, i don't know i mean it's it's interesting to to be intentional about it i mean we have the United States, I mean, we, as Americans, it's like, we just don't even, we don't even really realize like what kind of water we're swimming in here. Like it's, it's strip malls everywhere. And um, it's, it's a very new country. You know, you, you live in some older 
you know, parts of Europe or something, you've got buildings that are whatever, 500, a thousand years old, older than that, right? Right. (laughs) Easy. So America is this adolescent place and so much of it is built uh, with the automobile in mind. Mm -hmm. And so it's after the automobile, right? Exactly. Exactly. So we don't have a whole lot of walkable communities um, and the places that are walkable, that's great. But we have so much of it that is just strip mall i mean i've yeah, been in las vegas quite a bit recently and it's there's a lot going on there there's a lot of opportunities for people if if that's your scene um there can there's a lot of different scenes there there's all the people who are like the you know circus performers and stuff like that there they're their own little community within the rest of the chaos of that city and all the all the transient people, all these tourists that are coming in just to sort of use the place for their amusement. So uh, it is so strange. I mean, just another total tangent. I mean, we were in Eugene, Oregon, and it's like, what's the identity of this place? Well, that's easy. It's, it's a college town. They, they have a, they're a track college. They have track and fields. So you have like, some of the college students there, you can tell they're ultra fit and that's their thing. And then you have the other kids that are mostly just the stoner Eugene kids. You couldn't, there's more, there's more pot shops there than Starbucks. I mean, it just stunned me. This place, its identity is just weed. It seems like, like I would drive around at night there and there's like purple lights glowing in the attics of so many of these houses. It's like, what? That's fine. Smoke weed. I don't care. Whatever. It's just fascinating how you couldn't swing a, a dead cat in that town without hitting a weed shop. It was crazy. So all of these, but, but the thing that ties so much of America together is this anonymous strip mall and, and chain store kind of thing that's happening. Um, and now we're stuck with it because we put so much energy into that infrastructure. Now we're stuck with it. And it, it impacts your neurology. You feel a degree of anxiety when you're in a space that isn't beautiful and that isn't designed uh, classically. Classic European architecture calms you down. It calms your brain down. It makes you feel better. And in Las Vegas, they're, what is it? Uh, Is it the Venetian? Yeah, you go inside the Venetian and it's meant to look like uh, a classic European city. You're walking around in a building that's all indoors, but it, it looks like there's a sky above you and that you have all these nicely proportioned uh, European uh, designed buildings. And there's something very calm about that. But all we could manage to do in most of America is maybe have a simulation of that every once in a while that you have to pay to get into. And so... So we have this baseline of anxiety, I think, in America that other countries don't necessarily have. Um, And so just to like really zoom out and understand where it is that we are and what that does to us, uh, I think is super important. Um, Yeah, the you know, another thing, what are your thoughts about like the transient nature of the modern world? I mean, we have this ability now to just move away from our family. I think about how that impacts community and how families become split apart because of job opportunities. And just because hell you want to get the hell away from them sometimes. Right. Mm -hmm. So it feeds into like the, our ability, such a tangent here, but anyways, I apologize. Our ability to move anywhere is both good and bad. It feeds obviously something deep within us where we want to explore. The price we pay for that is um, a little bit more of being anonymous in a community and not having as much connection potentially because you can just move around. You can just decide to go somewhere else. And you're not going to, you don't, there's no expectation that you have to talk to your neighbors or get to know them anyways. So what's the big deal, right? There's freedom in that, but that freedom comes to some kind of cost. Yeah. Yeah. I ha- 
one of the one of those romantic ideas that may or may not actually be a reality for me is this uh, re regathering of the family as my as my parents age um, and recognizing that there's going to be a point where they uh, can't exist on their own and I do you know if you look at if you look at uh, what businesses are making money what businesses people are people are really getting interested in uh, nursing homes is definitely one of them right and nursing home is an idea that we went back to 1900 and we said hey here here's what we're going to do we're going to build a an ugly building we're going to put your parents in it and it's going to be like as tightly packed and possible and they're going to be cared for by people who don't really care about them um but they will ensure that they um, are fed and their room is relatively organized. And like the basic essentials will 100% be taken care of, but there won't be any love. Um, that's what we're gonna do. So just know that. I think those people would lose their mind on, on that as being an, a, an idea, but that is, that is essentially the idea now and like i mean i get it you know i i it's not always easy right like especially when you've had the separation right it's not like hey we we live on the same homestead but we live half a mile apart and we like walk to each other's house for dinner every night it is for most of us hey i will see my parents maybe a couple times a year and then you think about moving them into your to your life, and that that's a real that's a real um, sacrifice. It is it is a real sacrifice, and I think the reality is it, is they also made the sacrifice to get you here. And until we until we remember that, like, hey, we owe a pretty good debt to our parents. Um, for, for, for many reasons. We're, we are still alive today for one reason, and it is our parents. Whether we knew our parents or didn't know our parents, the reason we're alive today is because of our parents. They did whatever choice they made, it worked out so that we're alive today. And um, it's easy when you're looking at a little, little helpless baby, right? A, a little helpless baby is, is really easy to take care of. But a uh, grown adult is a different challenge. It's a very different challenge to look at your parents and be like, well, I'm going to do all those things that you, you do for a little helpless baby. So I, I, that's an idea that I had always running in the back of my head of like a thing that I, that I want to make work. That's not an easy thing. And um, I, do think, I do think it is the right thing to do for for your being, for your happiness, for your for your community, it is the right thing to do, but it's not the way that the system's set up. So you have to buck the system to make that possible, and well, sacrifice. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we boy, this took a this took a heavy turn. We were just joking, joke joking around about too many pot shops and like homeless people and cars parked next to their tents, and now it's getting dark, or not dark. It's getting heavy getting heavy so we this really gets back to the outsourcing again like america has outsourced yeah everything into a service mm -hmm. and you you pay a you pay a price for that um and everyone it's not just the kids though it's not just us i mean our parents are used to that as well my parents they are so fiercely independent mm -hmm. they don't want they don't want me involved in that, right? In a way, not yet. Mm -hmm. And so that's a struggle too, to try to make plans for someone who really doesn't want you to help them out at all. Mm -hmm. They're so fiercely independent. So it's a real negotiation there. And then, then oh my God, all of like trying to, trying to deal with them. And if, if you haven't like, oh, parents, sometimes they're so good at just triggering things from childhood where you're like, <laughs> But, and so what I've learned, 
what I've learned lately is just to like, just to like really use that to try to understand, well, how is it that they spoke to me through childhood? And how can I learn from that? How does that inform who I am and how, and how I behave today? Uh, instead of, it's so interesting. I mean, I just noticed this where some people will just revert back to who they were as a child when they see their parents and they're around them again. So, um, and everyone has a different, different relationship with their parents. So absolutely. That's a hard one, Patrick. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, taking that on. Um, and you're right though. That is a huge movement right now. The, not the nursing homes, the nursing homes is a big thing, but the assisted living facilities a lot of these are just um houses in a suburb somewhere that someone has made you know wheelchair accessible and all of that and you have you have some you know aging boomers or aging silent generation people living there and uh and and that's that they still have some independence and they're not living in your house per se because they probably wouldn't want to do that either so it's a real negotiation and it's yeah so you've been thinking about this for a while huh? mm-hmm. yeah same yeah it's a and i don't think i you know i don't think there are many easy solutions i also think it's a challenging you know our generation x where we are the first generation um, the first generation that started the process of doing less, having less success than our, than our parents. Right. So there, there's another, there's a financial aspect. And as, as uh, generation X uh, offspring come up, um, you know, that opportunity may be significantly less. You, you talked about this, you know, we've made everything a service. And, and I called this out and I don't, I don't know if, if you've come around to, to my insight on this or not, but again, I had the exact same experience when I went to Denver and I saw the homeless encampments and I saw, I didn't see cars, but what I saw was brand new tents. I saw people who went to REI, bought a brand new tent and decided to be homeless. And I think if you have a car and you're deciding to not live in a space, you're making a decision, right? You're not saying, hey, I don't have any possible resources to pay rent. You are saying, it's bet my life is better if I do not have a job, if I do not have a place to live, than if I do take one of these service industry jobs, kill myself, and at the end of the day, I'm still broke. And I, I think the conscious decision to drop out of society is a, is a thing that... W- like I said on that episode, and I know you, you said I was a big, a big doomer on that episode, but I think the last time I was told I was a doomer was about five years before I left um, the Adidas group. And I was telling everybody that the division was not viable. And two years after I left the, the division, it went from 200, 300, 350 people to eight. And um, all those people who were telling me I was a loser for leaving this giant corporation were trying to get the job that I had already taken. And I, I, not only had I already taken, I'd already left the job that they were trying to get. And um, I think that... I think that it's never, it's like, might not be fun to look at things and say, oh shoot, this is a huge, massive problem and we need to take action around it. Uh, but sometimes it's the right thing. Like sometimes it's just reality. Sometimes we need to look at people who are choosing to drop out of society and say, okay, we're offering these people such a terrible life that they don't want to do this anymore. We have to figure out a way to make their life better. That has to happen because we cannot. We have built a society that cannot exist without without a service class. Well, yeah. So I'll talk the Doomer stuff, and then I'm going to bring it back to your parents and to anyone who's got <laughs> aging parents and they're thinking about this. So, uh, you know, so, uh, it's going to get worse. It's just going to get worse. It's going to get hundred percent. Um, the, 
it just is. And the <laughs> inflation is just a, inflation is just a, an incredible tax against people. And they, they don't understand that it's a tax. Mm-hmm. They don't understand what inflation is. Um, but it's the money that the boomers have accumulated yep. is going to be diluted to such a degree because of all the, because we need to, as a country, we need to actually increase the number of currency units we have and, and decrease the value of all those units and keep interest rates low so that we can uh, service the debt and potentially pay down the debt of the country. And they're going to try to do that in the most controlled way possible so that you don't really understand what's happening to you. Um, but essentially your purchasing power is going to go down over time. And so Gen X, so like the boomers have it the best silent generation and boomers will have it absolutely the best. And as they are fading out and moving on to whatever, you know, is in store for us next after this incarnation, um, Gen X and millennials and Z are going to be left holding the bag. They're going to be left with a currency they can purchase a lot less. They're going to be left with less, less services. Um, your social security check will still arrive, but it won't buy hardly anything. Um, you'll still get that check, but it won't really matter a whole lot. But just to make it a total tangent, to bring this back to your parents and to what we've talked about before with creating an ideal um, one way to think about this. And I think about this a lot because uh, my older son is going to need an assisted living facility as an adult. He's not going to be able to live on his own. He's going to need help. So a lot of people are making their own assisted living facilities. Mm-hmm. And you can say, you can, you can decide, well, I'm going to, you know, pay for my parents or they're going to pay with their savings to live in an assisted living facility. But what if you made one? What mm-hmm. if you made one that you knew they would like and it would be as amazing as possible mm-hmm. like why why go out there in search of a service when you can create the service yourself when you can create something that's incredible absolutely right mm-hmm. that's that's a i think is a fascinating ideal and is probably a good opportunity for a lot of people our age yeah. um with with the yeah. collective financial resources, right? It's like yeah. if if you and your if you and your parents can somehow collectively, and they may have all the resources, you may have all the resources. It doesn't really matter where the resources come from. But there are lots. I mean, there are some incredible things that can be done. It's the yeah. only thing that I ever think about, right? It is the only thing that I ever think about is what like what encapsulation of uh, opportunity to provide the best possible end of life experience can, can I put together uh, for them? And it, it never is, um, it never is anything else other than um, a cohabitation that, that doesn't take away their freedom or my freedom, right? It is, you know, they have their own contained life unit it's just that I am a hundred yards away, right? Where if mm-hmm. I'm a hundred yards away, it, the difference may, between me being a hundred yards away and me being 10 feet away is essentially nothing, right? It's, could something bad happen? Yeah, something bad could happen if I'm 10 feet away too. But uh, I, I do think, and I hope with the amount of resources uh, collectively as a society that are being put in this area, that more and more options will become available. And the stuff I see right now is insane. It's a tad pricey for what it is, but I think that that cost comes down also. I, I do think that that cost comes down. Now, now our spending power may be so, so diminished mm-hmm. by that point that it doesn't matter, <laughs> but I do see those costs coming down. I don't, yeah, maybe, maybe not. It really depends on that inventory, right? And, and supply and demand because you have so many boomers that are going to be aging. And, but that's where the opportunity is too. And that's, that's interesting. I mean, it's, 
I love talking with you because this is the, this is when we talk the most. <laughs> For sure. Just, just when we're recording this thing. And, um, and this is so cool to learn this. Um, taking the responsibility for doing this means you get to create something amazing or something yeah. crappy, make yeah. it amazing though. Right. <laughs> make it amazing. And, yeah. and the, yeah, it is. It, yeah. I suppose it depends on the parents too. I mean, some parents are such, some people are such extroverts. They're not just going to want to live by themselves or next to you. They're going to want to have some other, yeah. other people of their own age around as well. And Absolutely. so there's, probably some opportunity there for that for where that makes sense for people to think about a a group home situation i I remember looking at this fancy new uh group home for adults with autism that was in sonoma county it was like you know around napa or something and um, it had everything right and it was nine g's a month and well, that makes sense. That place can, can handle that because there's going to be plenty of Silicon Valley millionaires there that have, uh, you know, a, a, a child with autism. And, you know, when that person's old enough and they want to live on their own in some assisted place, sure, they can go there. But it's 9000 a month. But it's the best. But it's still 9000 a month. So... Um, most people aren't going to be swinging that. And that's not just for like, well, you know, we'll make that work for a year or two. I mean, that's like, you're looking at something like that for the long term, And so it's better sometimes to create it yourself Mm. um, and, uh, and make it so that it actually brings in income that will support that loved one that you've got or those loved ones that you got that are going to be living there and benefiting from it. Yeah. Um, well, this is taking a totally unexpected turn, Patrick. I had no idea this is where we're going to go, man. It's incredible. It is. It is, it is a wild turn. I mean, we, uh, we were, we were, we were thinking it was a different path today. We were thinking it was a different invisible path today, but we found, we found an even more invisible path. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Um, it's interesting. It, I feel like, I feel like we're, we're deep into this. I feel yeah. like we're also just getting to the point where we could talk about uh, expanding a community beyond the like family nucleus. So maybe what we do for next episode is we say, hey, we've laid the found work, the ground, the, <laughs> the found, the groundation, the found work, groundation. The, ground, the, groundation. the groundation and found work. Yeah. Okay, so yes. we've laid the foundation and the groundwork for um, understanding both both uh, societal challenge and risk. We've laid the groundwork and foundation for understanding that historically humans started building their community uh, from the nuclear family. Family, holy cow. This is, this is the yeah. perfect example of why, we're, why we are done. I don't have words left yeah. anymore. <laughs> so so um, maybe next episode, we talk about bridging out the how to build community beyond your nuclear family. Like from the perspective of two introverts, who live on some spectrum of in the middle of nowhere. That sounds good. Let's see. <laughs> I can't wait. Now my, now my brain's going to be trying to figure out what that means. Yeah. Let's, let's do that. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. I think that that is, you know, that, like I said, that was a, that was a, a, a listener comment that I got was, you know, like, how do you really build community? And we didn't touch on that at all, but no. I think we're gonna, I think, I think we've now put ourselves in a place where we really can start to talk about actually building community. Heck yeah. All right. Maybe it'll have less tangents. Maybe not, (laughs) but we'll see. We'll see. But maybe you never know. You're going to have to tune in next time to find out. Heck yeah. Well, thanks Patrick. This is, this has been incredible. And 
thanks to the audience. Thanks for the questions. And uh, thanks for being forgiving with us as we rant around. <laughs> Hopefully it's offered some kind of interest, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, there were some interesting things. I know for a fact we got into some interesting things today. We just did it in a different way than we thought. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, y'all. Nice to connect with you, man. Same.